Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. Well, hello church. How amazing is it to be online? Uh, welcome. If you are new and you're not at our church and you've never watched online before, uh, this is a great way to join our community, our church family. Uh, it's great to have Pastor Shane and Rachel back in the building. Uh, I, I've Honestly, I've missed his little shouts and his little cheers. It's been something that we haven't actually had for six or seven weeks, so it's awesome to have them here. Uh, you've got my face preaching to you again from home, uh, which is awesome for me because it means I get to take my mask off in the building again for just a bit of time. But I'm hoping this morning we're number eight in this unshakable series, installment number eight. And this morning we're sharing on the unshakable direction. Uh, and who at home, let me know in the comments of the video at home, who's ever been lost before? Like maybe you was a kid and you were lost in the grocery store. That was, that was terrifying as a kid. Maybe you're a grown adult and you've been lost driving somewhere. Uh, I have a story of when I went to Canada in 2018, I went to Canada to shoot a friend's wedding of mine, a friend I grew up with, it was amazing, uh, and we were driving to Niagara Falls, uh, and if you've ever been to Niagara Falls, it's incredible, it takes your breath away, but getting there from where we were was a, probably about a two-hour drive, and uh, so I had a car because I hired the car while I was over there, uh, and in my car, they decided that my best friend and his soon-to-be wife, who is Canadian, jumped in my car, which therefore meant... I was the lead car, you know, having the Canadian local in my car meant that I had to drive and then the other three cars had to follow me. No pressure at all when you've never driven on the right-hand side of the road before like that. Uh, You don't know actually where you're going and it's just a whole new world that you want to just take in the experience and the scenery of Canada. Uh, But that wasn't what happened. We we were driving uh, and, and... you know in Australia how we have the sign that says, uh, turn left on red if safe to do so, or, or, or whatever it says, something like that. They have that in Canada. That's just a general blanket rule, but there's no sign that says that. So I was, we were stopped. We had to take a detour to pick something up. And so we got off the highway and three cars followed my car off and we came back to get on the highway and I'm parked here waiting for the light to go green. All of a sudden, drivers behind us are beeping and, hey, get off the road, eh? Like, you're getting real angry. And, and I was like, far out, okay. And then she explained to me, the local Canadian said, you know, you can actually turn right. It's like the rule in Australia, but there's just no signs. So I went, okay, no worries. So I turned right, thinking that was the right thing to do, and it was. And two out of the three cars followed us. One of those didn't see and just went straight instead. And uh, so all of a sudden, there's three cars on the highway heading towards Niagara Falls and one car heading who knows where else. And uh, we're panicking in the front car. Uh, my best friend's mother behind us in the other car is ringing and going like, you've lost my son, what are you doing? You've lost my son in Canada. And I'm like, I just took a turn that I was told to take. I didn't know where I was going and we we're freaking out. And basically the, the, the conclusion was that once we get to Niagara Falls, we would figure out how to find them and get them here And because they didn't have a phone. So they left and they drove straight and they didn't have um, international roaming turned on. They didn't have a GPS in their car. So they were kind of on their own and we're all freaking out. And I was freaking out that my best friend's mother was going to kill me because I lost her son in Canada. Uh, but uh, what happened was they basically got off and they just turned on international roaming, got the GPS, and they actually beat us to Niagara Falls. And the rest of us were just freaking out for no reason in the end. But in life, sometimes we need that direction. Sometimes we take a wrong turn, don't we? Sometimes we get lost. Sometimes the, f- the path we choose causes others to get a little bit lost. And we need uh, that GPS direction to help us. There are choices we have to make in life as individuals, as couples, as communities, as a nation. Uh, and this direction defines our life in times. And this choice to left or right or whichever way can define the steps we're taking to our final destination. It's like in Alice in Wonderland, if you've ever watched that movie, 
uh, she hits a fork in the road, and this is where she meets the Cheshire cat, and basically she says, which way do I go? And, and he says, well, where do you want to go? And she says, I don't know. And then he says to her, well, it doesn't matter which way you go then. In life, the direction you take depends on where you want to go. Some of the choices we make in our life are going to hurt someone. Some of them are going to help some people. Some of them are a blessing. Some of them are curses. Some choices will obey God and some will sin against him. And Proverbs 4, 18 to 19 says this. It says, The path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full night of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes him stumble. It may sound super simple and easy, but that's how straightforward it is. In our life, we are either pursuing the life with Jesus or we're pursuing a life without Jesus. There's only two choices there. Which direction are you heading in your life? Are you pursuing Christ or are you not pursuing Christ? And this morning I'm talking about that decision to follow Christ and that choice that most of us have already made. But I believe in that pursuit and that direction, we still have to take guidance, don't we? We still have to make decisions. It's like Google Maps or a GPS. We've already made the destination of where we want to go, but along that way, we have to choose left or right or straight or sometimes back. We have to choose to take an alternative route. We wanted to get to Niagara Falls. Some of us did. Some of us didn't on time. That was not our fault. Google Maps directs us when we take a wrong turn or a left instead of a right, doesn't it? What does it do? It recalculates. It redirects us to the right path. And in life, I want to think of that redirection as the word repentance. Redirection is repentance. Repentance is a way to change the direction you are headed. The dictionary defines repentance as feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. One's wrongdoing or sin. See, the word in there, sin, it hurts us in that sentence. We would be okay with that about wrongdoing or uh, turning around, changing, uh, express sincere regret. We'd be okay with that sentence, but once it mentions the word sin, that hurts our pride a little bit. That hurts our inner man a little bit. Why? Because it means that we have to admit that we've done something wrong. Sin means we've chosen against God's path. So in life, think about the Holy Spirit as Google Maps. You know that little voice that performs a U-turn where possible. Wrong way, please turn around. Left in 300 meters. I don't know why I went from American Siri to Irish Siri there. That was weird. Uh, but in our lives, that's the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life is to direct us and guide us and to redirect us when necessary. So the more we don't listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the more we don't listen to get back onto the right path to the destination, the further we get away from our final destination. And if we completely choose to just ignore Google Maps and we decide to just, I'm going to do this on my own, I'm going to figure out how to get there. More often than not, we end up getting lost. And we have no idea where we are, and our destination's all the way over there, and we're stuck over here. In order to have an unshakable life and an unshakable direction, we need to live a life with repentance. And often we think of repentance as only those people that have not found Christ yet, that just need to repent of their sins and turn. But I think to have an unshakable life, we constantly need to live a life of repentance in our own life. Let's have a quick look at just three ways that we as humans have lived through the Bible. We read the Bible and we can see uh, three different ways that we lived or are living under or along our lives with Christ. So firstly, we see in Genesis that we lived under uh, in relation with God. Adam and Eve were in the garden and they walked with Jesus. It said that they walked together in the garden. 
They were within proximity of each other, closer than 1.5 meters of social distancing. They, well, they walked together. And therefore, they had relationship with Christ, with Jesus, with God, with the three. Sin came and broke that, and therefore the proximity was taken away. And then what happened then is this next kind of uh, season of living became under rule. We lived under the rule of, of uh, guidelines and authorities, particularly in the Old Testament in which we lived under these black and white rules that said, uh, don't wear this thread with that thread, don't cut this hair, don't eat that kind of meat. And we lived in this, uh, this time of under the rule. But what this did was it made it so clear to us as humans and so clear to God that we could never do that kind of living because as humans, we can never make up to be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. And so we could never bridge that chasm of sin. And so then what happened was God sent his son, Jesus, who died on the cross, as we know, and basically, basically this became living, under, uh, living in redemption. We were redeemed through Christ's death on the cross. And we are currently living in redemption. It means that uh, he, he paid the debt for us that we couldn't pay. God sent his son to die, and that bridge across sin to get to God was, was already paved for us, putting us back into relation with God again. We're not walking in proximity side by side with God, but we have that relationship and that bridge over sin has been built for us. And therefore, it brings purpose back into our life. So where do we find the word repentance in the Bible? Well, there's a whole bunch of ways, a whole bunch of verses that we can see it. In Matthew 3, 1 to 2, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came to Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, From then on, Jesus began to preach, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mark chapter 1, 15 says, The time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent for your sins and believe the good news. We see in Luke 13, it says, No, I tell you again, unless you repent, you will perish too. Acts 17, 30 says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see the word repentance in the Bible, all these different examples, and what they're all doing is telling us repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. What it's doing is telling us redirect yourself. Turn yourself around from where you were going, the direction you were heading, to the right direction, which is the kingdom of heaven and God. Let's look at this example of uh, two people in the Bible that had an opportunity for repentance. If you, wanna, if you have your Bible or your phone there, flick to Luke 18, 9 to 14, we're going to read from. And it's called the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says this, says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Good people they are. Ooh. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a, de a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. I'll just stop there for a second. How great is that prayer? He basically here makes it known to everybody witnessing this and everybody uh, watching that how good am I? How great am I that I do this and that I do that and oh, thank God that I'm not like that person. 
thank the Lord that I only earn $30 million a year, not $50 million like Elon Musk. Thank God that I'm not like that despised tax collector there. And he says this, he says, then I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. See, what he's doing there is he's living under that rule like I was saying. He's checking off the list and saying, well, the Bible says that I do this and it says that I do this and therefore I do that. He's checking off the list. But what is, what is missing when we live under that rule is we don't have heart. There's no actions that go along with it. He's just checking off a list going, oh, I'm good enough, that's fine. But his relationship is not there. His actions are not there to follow it properly. And so it continues in verse uh, 13, it says, But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I've heard it said that the depth of an apology is usually in proportion to the severity of the offense. If we were here in the building for church on a Sunday where we could sit together as a church family and I was running late to be on stage for drumming or something and I ran past and I bumped into you, I would apologize and I would continue on. But if I, if I ran past and I knocked you over and I kicked you in the head and I stepped on you, which is probably a little bit extreme, my offense is, is greater. I'm probably a bit of an idiot and you'd want to slap me, but therefore my apology would be greater as well. Because not only did I just bump you and knock you a little bit and continue on, but I had the audacity to step on you and kick you, and therefore I would really apologize for somehow doing that and just running past you. But the, the offense is greater, therefore the apology should be greater. We see here, we see this life between the Pharisee and the tax collector, and we see one thing. One guy that says, I don't have much to be forgiven for. I do all this, and I do all this, but I don't have much to be forgiven for. Look at me. And the other says, I have so much to be forgiven for. I have made such offense I not only pushed you down and I stepped on you as well, but please forgive me. There's a difference between that and the only difference is that we as humans see the difference and God doesn't. We as humans, we say this all the time, is that uh, as humans we put sin in a hierarchy. One is worse than the other. But what we actually see in the Bible, what God shows us is to him, sin is all the same. A sin is a sin. Once the line is drawn and the line is crossed, it's the same. So we as humans choose to uh, feel worse and forgive differently than we would. So in the eyes of God, sin, these guys had both sinned the same, but in the eyes of each other, one was guiltier than the other. The apology was greater because the offense was greater in their opinion. But there's no difference for God. The sin is the sin. So what needs to take place in our life to change directions when we're traveling on the road? You might have heard a phrase in your life growing up or older saying, you're acting like a fool. Or stop acting up like that. Or that's not how we act in public. Maybe you've said it to your kids a number of times. Maybe you were told that as a kid a number of times. Maybe that's what you heard, not acting like this. You shouldn't act like that. I believe the the biblical act of repentance has action to it. It's not just saying something. It's not just doing what the Pharisee said and I have apologized, but it's actually doing It is actually physically doing something to change your ways. Which means this solution of repentance in our lives now gets a little bit harder, doesn't it? It's not just an easy decision to say, I'm sorry, God, I sinned. Because we have to say, I'm sorry, God, I sinned. And then we have to do something. 
We have to change. We have to turn around. We have to redirect our lives. So there's three steps, I believe, that help us to act out our repentance in our schools, in our lives, in our family, in our workplace, any scenario we're in. And the first is this. We have to acknowledge. We have to acknowledge that we've done something wrong. If we continue with this driving example, not following the GPS and we get lost, typically if there's a husband and a wife in the car, one of them is likely to say, we're lost, let's ask for directions. And one of us is not. I'll let you decide at home who that is and who that is not. In our relationship, often it's my wife. No, it's me. I'm kidding. Uh, But often there is someone in that relationship that's not willing to acknowledge that we are lost. Quite often as men, we are stubborn and we don't want to say, I'm lost. Let's just ask for directions. But we have to actually acknowledge that. We have to say, I have made a wrong turn. I have pursued a different path and I am lost. The second of what we have to do is we have to confess. We have to confess and say, I have sinned. I have turned against you, Lord. Please, please know that I have done this. In this situation of the lost driver and the husband and wife, that's the husband saying those words that we are told never to utter, I was wrong and you were right. I know that Dave Walker is going to slap me for saying that ever again. But for in this this sin, it's about confessing and saying, God, I'm calling out that I have sinned against you. I have sinned and committed against the path that I chose to follow your, your direction and, and to advance the kingdom of God. And we have to call out the sin and not just let it sit there in our lives. We have to acknowledge it and confess and say, God, I need your help. Have mercy on me. Like the tax collector says, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. He confesses his sin here. And the third thing is, like I was saying just before, is an action that comes along with repentance. We have to turn around. We don't just want to sin and make this decision and turn off the path and go, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. I've messed up and just keep going that way. We don't want to go, oh, no, I messed up. Maybe if I just keep going this way, I'll, I'll eventually get back on the path. Maybe I'll find a way around. Maybe there'll be a roundabout and I can turn around. Two wrongs don't make a right, anything like that. But we have to actually physically turn around. We have to make the decision to redirect ourselves, to recalculate ourselves, to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit that says, hey, where you're going is not where God has called you to go. Turn around. It might be a full U-turn or it might be just a left instead of a right. When we're driving, we get lost. We recalculate. Google Maps redirects us as the Holy Spirit prompts us in our lives. If I could get the keys up to... As we close, once we repent, we actually take steps on our path. We have to, like I said, acknowledge, confess, and turn around. These are the actions that we have to do every day. Not just once in our life to turn around and go, that's it. But every day we have to wake up and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I have done wrong. But please lead me today. Prompt me with the Holy Spirit. I place all my decisions, all my sins, my faults, my failures at your feet, and I turn my life around with you today. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. How many of us want mercy in our lives every day? We know that it's because of God's mercy, His grace and love for us that He doesn't punish us for our sins. So the question is, when do I stop repenting? Do we ever stop repenting? For many Christians, uh, it's right to understand that we have to repent in order to become a Christian. But that's not where we have to stop. 
Listen to what Martin Luther King said about this. He said, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, he continues and said, will that the whole life of believers should be repentance. It should be waking up every day saying, God, I know I may have stepped off the path a little. I know I may have gone the wrong way by a lot, but I need you in my life. I need your prompting, your, your direction, your guidance in my life. The reason we don't stop repenting is so that we can walk in proximity and relationship with Jesus. We then experience a growing awareness of our sin and ourselves and in turn God because we understand that we have done wrong and we can't do this on our own. As that knowledge grows, so must our practice of repentance grow. When Jesus calls a lifestyle lifestyle to repentance, he's not calling us to beat ourselves up and clean up our act and try harder. Jesus is calling us to a radical change of heart in relation with him. Have you looked at your own life and have you acknowledged the sin? Have you called it out and have you confessed it to God? Have you redirected yourself? Have you turned around in all the situations you need to in life? Are you happy with the path you're currently on? Is it the direction that God's calling you to? Or have you turned off that path and need to just turn a little bit back or do a complete U-turn? Following Jesus means we make a radical change of direction from pursuing one path to pursuing His path. We can live in relationship with Him in the redemption from His Son, bridging that chasm of sin for us. And today in your house, maybe you think, oh, I've done this and I've only made a small amount and I just need to turn a little bit. Or maybe you need to turn a full 180 degrees and repent fully and turn around. That's okay. We all make these mistakes, whether large or small. And the best news about all of that is, is that God loves you either way the same. Whether you're doing a complete U-turn or just a little redirection, He loves you just the same. So this morning at home, I just want to give you a moment to say to the Lord and just say, God, I believe this morning that I need to just turn my life a bit that I need to change a few things just a little bit. And this morning, as we just bow our heads and pray for a moment, I want to just say, if this is you and you just have a moment at home with God, just you and Him, and just say, God, I need you in my life. Let's pray together. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, we pray right now that you prompt us, you guide us in our life with the Holy Spirit to pursue the path of your glory and your kingdom. Lord, whether we feel we need to make a large full direction shift or whether we just need to be slightly back on path, Lord, prompt us in that way. Encourage us to reach out and ask for help in our life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you walk with us every day in this life, Jesus. Amen.